I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is best-selling author and feminist leader, Phyllis Chesler, PhD, Dr. Chesler, and she's the author. Her new book is Requiem for a Female Serial Killer. Phyllis Chesler's new book follows the tragic story of Aileen Wornos, the protagonist of the film Monster, which won Charlie Theron an Academy Award for Best Actress. The story takes us inside the mind of a female serial killer, a prostitute who murdered seven adult men. Women, even prostitutes, have the right to self-defense, in theory, but the reality is far more complicated. Her book challenges everything anyone has ever thought about prostitutes, serial killers, and justice in America. She's an emerita professor of psychology and women's studies at City University of New York and author of 20 books. Uh, Phyllis has been featured in the New York Times, the LA Times, the Washington Post, the Huff Post, and many more. Uh, Welcome to the show, Phyllis. Nice to have you on this morning. It's my pleasure to be with you, Catherine. Okay, well, I guess the first question um, is how did how and why did did you become interested in this particular story, Aileen Wornos? Uh, what connected you to that story, and why well, write the book now? Well, you know, this is even before Thelma and Louise came to the screen. There was an announcement that the police were hunting for two women uh, suspects in the death of seven men. And I said, what is this? An Orson Welles, the Martians have landed joke? I didn't think it was real. Turned out to be quite real. And soon enough, I was on a plane to Florida trying to meet with her defense attorneys because for me, what was the issue is teaching the jury about prostitution, which is the most violent um, form. It's the greatest violence against women practiced. Serial killers, mainly men, kill prostitutes and women. And I wanted to see whether her argument that she killed in self-defense, at least that first time, could be fairly judged because prostitutes are routinely raped, gang-raped, tortured, robbed, and beaten badly. So it is not unlikely that she could have killed in self-defense. Of course, who would believe it if they weren't educated otherwise? So I had very, you know, noble, serious, idealistic, feminist goals. And it took me years to figure out that, yes, she killed in self-defense the first time, but she was a serial killer. I had been and I want to stop you there out. because serial killers in general are usually men, right? They're usually 90% or even more of, more, of more. serial. Except the Ted Bundys and the Jeffrey Dahmers, they're men, not women. So that in itself is unique that this is a well, woman. Who, what's unique yeah. about her is unlike other extremely abused women, and her childhood was awful, she didn't just go down and disappear. She was no longer prey. She became, in a sense, the predator. But she was not like other female serial killers who tend to kill husband after husband for money, for insurance policies, or nurses who kill patients or infants for money or out of madness, 
or notions of mercy killing. She was not like them. She was not like other abused women. And she was not like male serial killers who are far more organized and who did not have lives like the one she lived. So she was a very unique first ever kind of serial killer, a prostitute who after hundreds of thousands of rapes, which she got paid for, and sometimes not, people say she must have snapped or she became unleashed and she knew that Johns are committing a crime against humanity, against women's humanity in how they treat prostitutes. Uh, Phyllis, you talked to her, right? I mean, this is something, this is after, as you began this journey or, uh, to uh, fi- to unravel her story, I guess, then you actually had contact with her, right? And you were ta- oh, in yes. the process. Yeah. And so talk to us about that. What was the first encounter that you had with her? And why did she mm. agree to talk to you? Well, she agreed because the woman, the single woman who she was now connected with after her arrest said, Phyllis is cool. You could talk to her. So Lee Warnos called me from jail, and as I write in the book, I knew I would have only a few seconds to catch her attention, and I said, I represent a feminist government, and we know you've been captured, and we'd like to help. And I proposed to her that um, I pulled together a team pro bono of experts who would teach the jury about prostitution, about rape, about rape trauma, about the way prostitutes are treated, and about how a woman has the right, ultimately, to kill in self-defense. And she said, far, far out. Let's do it. And only after that initial phone call were her lawyers willing to meet with me. And then we talked again and again, and we had a correspondence, some of which I publish in the book Requiem for a Female Serial Killer. And then I visited her when she landed on death row, which was almost inevitable. And her, um, when I asked her, how many times have you been raped, I discovered my definition of rape was very different from hers. To her, a rape was a gang rape when you were tied down and tied up and you feared for your life and you were beaten. And after she logged, oh, about 37, I said, you don't have to go on. This is quite enough. She goes, no, I'm tough. I can do it. And I said, I don't know if I can. (laughs) Because, you know, psychologists like me, you know, one woman gets raped And even though she can carry on in her life, it may leave a very lasting, haunting shadow, especially if there's no justice and no support. Warnos got to 37. What could this have done to her head? This is why prostitutes have to take drugs and alcohol in order to endure the war that they find themselves in. It's not work. It's a war. And what do you say to, well, to the culture, I guess, to to men and women who say, well, she's a prostitute. I mean, that's the attitude. So, you know, this is what they're asking for. This is just part of the business. Or, I mean, there are all kinds uh, of those, you you hear all all kinds of those kinds of uh, uh, characteristics that they attribute to prostitutes. Like, she's getting herself into it. So, mm -hmm. talk, you know, yeah. Um, Totally correct. Yeah. Totally. But every study 
that's been done shows us that girls and women who are prostituted come from highly dysfunctional homes where they have not only been beaten and neglected, but also raped and often raped repeatedly. And when they escape these homes, hoping for something better, they find themselves impoverished, often illiterate, often without marketable skills, and homeless. The only thing these children can do, and in America, these are mainly uh, children of color, although this is a global pandemic. And uh, the only thing they can do is start selling sex for money. And one has to ask, what kind of men need children, need to abuse children, need to buy children? And once, they're la- once a pimp latches on to somebody young and homeless, her life becomes hell from which there's no exit, and our society, you're perfectly right, have no understanding of this. She's disposable. It's her fault. She chose it. There's no choice involved, maybe in 1%, perhaps. It's a forced choice only, and um, I wanted so much for the jury to hear this, especially since the prosecutor was the, had been the spiritual advisor to Ted Bundy, And he believed that prostitution was evil and that prostitutes, not Johns, prostitutes were evil. Deck was stacked against her. What kind of an impact do you think this has had? Uh, First of all, we can start with your book and and just even maybe taking a little bit, going back a little bit. I mean, in terms of her her trial um, and what was the impact that it had on you personally being involved with her? Um, How did it change you? Well, it's haunted me because it showed me that not all women can be rescued, that I can't rescue a prostituted woman very easily, if at all, although there are many who are being rescued in uh, shelters specifically set up by former prostitutes for prostitutes, Uh, not well-funded and scattered, but they're happening. So I came up against my, uh, my inability to rescue. I also came up against my best vision, my best ideas, and I had the best experts, none of whom were called. So I then understood yet again that if you're very, very rich in America, you might be able to buy the kind of legal talent um, and experts that might help you. But if you're poor... If you're a woman, if you're a woman of color, although Eileen was of Finnish descent out of Michigan and was white, uh, if you're a prostitute, if you're in any way seen as a bad girl, a badass outlaw girl, women and men both, women even more than men, would tend to distance themselves from her and blame her and shudder about her fate. So it's, it's humbled me and haunted me, like Anne Rule was haunted by her friendship with Ted Bundy when she then discovered who he really was. And in writing Requiem for a Female Serial Killer, I called it Requiem because I needed to lay her to rest with some gravity and some dignity. She should never have been executed. She was legally quite insane 
as most people in isolation for so many years are and on death row, but executed she was nevertheless. So what you're saying, the whole, the justice system failed her as it does many women like her. Yes, battered women, wives who finally kill in self-defense often get life sentences with no parole or very, very, very long sentences. I myself think she saved her own life. Give her a parade. Nobody else stepped in. You know, the state didn't save her. But I also noted something interesting, that in 1990, the year she committed most of her murders, and her Johns, there were at least three who were definitely Johns because they were naked when, when their corpses were found. We had the film Thelma and Louise come out in 1991, the film Nikita about a trained, dangerous assassin, came out just the year she was doing the killings. And then in 1991, remember, sleeping with the enemy. Now, what's interesting is a kind of a sea change in terms of women sitting, because I was in the theater, and women stood up and cheered when Julia Roberts got the batterer who was stalking her, her husband, and when Jodie Foster got her bad guy. And this is unheard of. This is new. So, in a sense, Warnos represented to her now many fans. I didn't know she had fans, but now I've looked into it, and she does. She represented a woman fighting back, a woman taking down authority, a woman taking down men who abuse, use, and throw away as disposable prostitutes and women. And um, many feminists, although they didn't, some did not see her as a role model for us and warned me to be careful, many feminists were also awed by someone who could do something that none of us could do. You know, as you're talking, I want to. I have to say, yes, you're right. It's not that someone like her would be a role model, but the movies that you mentioned, and I do remember Nikita and thinking, there's something Mm -hmm. as sick as it may be. It's very empowering. There is something about that that says, "Hey, you know, I am empowered as a woman." And it's it's a. I guess it's very complicated, but um, yeah, those are good examples. Uh, Fried green tomatoes. Yeah, yes, also, that was Dolores great Claiborne. One. So mm-hmm. this is a first. Suddenly, uh, usually you see women, you know, who are just prostitutes or wives, and they're, and they're done in and we don't like them, or they're just naive, silly characters, non-entities, with some exceptions. Now we're seeing women getting back, getting even, saving their lives, being trained with guns and martial arts, and Warnos carried a gun. That's what saved her life. She carried a gun because probably many of her customers were both police officers and military men. And they said, hey, you know, the equivalent of a girl like you out on the road alone, you should carry a gun. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So men understand when there's a war and how you have to arm yourself for it. Women really don't. And here is this really badass, mentally ill, much sinned against, cursing a mile a minute woman who does what an incest victim can only dream of doing, knocking off daddy. She doesn't. Women don't usually, so what you're saying is when women actually, when they are, do kill, 
they don't use guns. That's not, right? That's not usually the, the weapon of choice. No, they often have to. Now, how are you going to take, well, that's another way that, that Warnos was unique. She took on men much bigger than herself who weighed a lot more than she did. She punched up. Somebody like Ted Bundy punched down. He found small, vulnerable, untrained girls and women. So she was different in that way. Women shoot. The, the serial killers who kill husbands use poison. But they're a different kind of female serial killer, and there are many of them. So she was not the first serial killer. Uh, but, the, but she's different than the other women with using poison or... Um, there are women, and we've seen a lot of that lately, there are women who lure girls into prostitution and who then chain them to the brothel wall and, and have them addicted and gang raped. And if they escape or try to escape, uh, they kill them. So they, that's another kind of serial killer. I write about one such case uh, in Requiem. She, she comes up unique, and I didn't see it. I didn't do the profile of her as a serial killer until I got back to Requiem many years later when I realized that the themes that her case raises, the issues are burning hot today. Sexual harassment, rape, gang rape, prostitution trafficking, the issue of abolition versus legalization, Burning hot issues today. So they're burning hot issues. What would you say or what do you want the impact of this book to be? Because these issues are here. They're, yeah, they're front and center. So how, what kind of an impact do you think your, yeah, your book would have, will have? What a good question. Well, (laughs) since I've already admitted to being humbled by my inability (laughs) to bring justice into her life, I would say I would hope To begin with, that true crime audiences who seem to be very, very interested in her and in this book and who are totally open to the nature of prostitution being what it is, I hope that they become more open to feminist ideas and feminist activism. Second, I hope that the feminist activists become more abolitionist in orientation because many feminists and as well as sexual libertarians, pimps, and johns want to keep things the way they are. They'd like to legalize it. It's worse for the women, but easier for the men. And I would hope that feminists and others reconsider or consider the harm that prostitution is and does to women and children. I can only hope that this book raises consciousness. It's also a good story. I mean, it's a little funny. It's a little ironic. Uh, it's, an, it's a genre-blended nonfiction novel, but everything is based on, I have so much documentation. Um, so I'm not making too much up, except the murders themselves. She would never reveal the details. So based on my interviews with her and with everyone else, and on legal documents, I had to imagine being there, and I had to see it through her eyes, which Why I tried Why do you think she wouldn't reveal the details? Mm, that's a really good question, too. <laughs> There's a secrecy, a secretiveness that most killers, and serial killers especially, 
manifests. It's like their secret, and it made Warnoff's crazy. She who understood so little about money, but who wanted to get paid each time because she had to eat. Um, after she was on death row, her notoriety obsessed her and the fact that other people, filmmakers, journalists, were making money off what she did. And she wanted percentages and she wanted a stake in it. And I didn't understand at the time, well, this is typical serial killer behavior. They keep their clippings, they try to control them, they correct them, and they, you know, they would love money, but are not allowed to get very much except for commissary needs. So um, she ultimately, I came to understand how damaged she was, not simply due to prostitution or to awful childhood experiences. But she probably had organic brain syndrome. She was visually and cognitively impaired, and it was never corrected, so she couldn't see very well. And she couldn't hear very well. She may have been, uh, um, even though she was smart and a survivor, she may have had a low IQ, which was never looked into deeply, and uh, then think of the trauma and the alcoholism. So I have to ask as a woman, and why would a man want to sleep with her? Why did Johns choose women who are clearly, they have fevers, they're on the highways or on the city streets, they have sores that are running sores, they look like they're in need of a hospital, and yet... Johns don't care. This is puzzling. I wish, I, I, I tried to say, I said, you know, you could plead insanity. And she was offended. Her dignity and pride were offended. I said, I think you'd pass, actually, and then you'd live. And she didn't want to go to a mental bin, you know, a loony bin. Uh, and I said, once they have you, you know, it's up to them when they kill you. You know, they could stash you away for a decade, which they did, more than a decade. And I have a scene towards the end, which I think is somewhat moving in terms of her last days on Earth and the, the dignity that she displayed, even though she was as mad as a hatter by then and legally should not have been executed. You're not supposed to execute someone who's insane. It didn't stop at the state of Florida. I guess, yeah, uh, we have a couple minutes left. So uh, just a last question, because you have been described uh, as the um, politically incorrect feminist, or you have described, or an ever-evolving feminist. Um, so make the connection between your ever-evolving feminism and, and, and the book, I get. Well, I was politically incorrect when I wrote three books about motherhood when many feminists were not interested in that subject and when I came out against legalized surrogacy, which is now increasingly legal everywhere. And in the matter of Warnos, many feminists thought she was extraordinary and, and an important case, but many sort of felt skittish and uh, is she going to help? I mean, 
really, she's not like us. I mean, she's a loser. She's like a swamp creature from hell. You know, do you really want to spend time with her? And I'm thinking, these are our sisters who have been laid low, laid low by patriarchy. Isn't it our uh, privilege to try to assist even one of them? And that you did. I want to, I don't want to give too much in terms of giving the book away because we want people to go out and buy it. Um, So can you give us a website or websites that we can go to, to to get more information about the book and also to get more information about you? Absolutely. I have a website. It's www.phyllis, P-H-Y-L-L-I-S hyphen or dash C-H-E-S-L-E-R. It's right up there. And on the homepage are the endorsements that have come into this book and a link to purchasing it. Great. Great book. And I really, really enjoyed talking to you today, Phyllis. And and good luck with the book. I want to mention the title of the book is Requiem for a Female Serial Killer. And we've been talking to the author, Phyllis Chesler, Ph.D., Thanks so much for being on the show. Great to have you. Great, great interview, Catherine. Thank Thank you you. very much. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 